Welcome to ABC Gotham, your podcast about New York City history. I am your host, Kathleen. With me, as always, is Kate. Hi, everyone. We are here today with the episode of the letter L. You've heard all the way up to and including K, I'm sure. So we move on to L today. Kate, what do we have today? Well, today we have possibly the only New York City mayor to have a Pulitzer Prize winning musical written about him. Mm, So far. Mm-hmm. So far, who knows? Somebody could write one about Bloomberg or Giuliani or... Sure, who, sure. Who knows? We'll see. And, yeah, so it's it's very strange. I love that there's a musical about a mayor. And, of course, I'm talking about Fiorello LaGuardia. Fiorello LaGuardia for letter L. Cool. Yeah, he. I, I have walked by the statue many, many times, which a lot of you may have, in the... New York, NYU area. I think mm-hmm. it's right in front of a supermarket. Am I right about that? Yeah, it's actually on LaGuardia Place. It's the street that runs from Houston all the way up to Washington Square Park. So yeah, it's a very short little street. But yeah, there's this really there's a statue of him clapping or something and like striding along. I think in front of an associated supermarket or something. There's yeah. a very funny picture online, and we'll include it in uh, probably on the Facebook page of someone put a pineapple in his hands. It's it's very cute. So I, yes, I've seen a... the pineapple before. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was very strange because when I first moved here, I of course only knew of LaGuardia as the unfortunate airport mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Queens, and had no idea who this LaGuardia person was. Mm-hmm. So it's actually been, and of course since then I have learned that, you know, we had a mayor named LaGuardia, but it's been really great during this, researching this podcast, to actually find out a bit about this extremely, I'd say, pretty liberal mayor, wouldn't you? Definitely. Definitely. This, uh, a number of people have called him one of the best or the best mayor. Nice. This guy is a powerhouse, and he did a ton of stuff. He was a Republican mayor, but he did a lot of really amazing progressive stuff, and he just kicked the shit out of the city's problem. Amazing, amazing stuff. Right, yeah, because it's amazing if you look at what's going on in the city before, just before that, but just before he becomes mayor, you have, of course, Tammany Hall Mm -hmm. is kind of what's running the city, which I hope we get a chance to maybe cover that for tea. You'll have to stay tuned, Mm -hmm. if not this time, the time after, because it's definitely worth its own podcast, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which, of course, is the really corrupt Democratic Party political machine that's running New York City and New York State, mm-hmm. and he pretty much ends Tammany Hall. Like, Tammany Hall goes right up until LaGuardia gets elected, mm-hmm. and then there's no more Tammany Hall. Yep, yep. He, pretty much, for the off. most part. Yeah, it's amazing. So, Kathleen, where was our um, most favorite mayor from? <laughs> the world's greatest mayor. Uh, he was born in New York City. Uh, both of his parents are Italian immigrants. Uh, his father was from Serignola, which is where you get the big, really good black olives, Serignola olives. Mm, yeah. His mother was from Trieste, which is, uh, as Wikipedia puts it, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, it's funny, I've actually been to Trieste. You have? <laughs> so I was researching this and I was like, oh, I've been to your hometown. That's so funny. Well, his mom's hometown. Well, it's his mom's hometown. You have also been to his hometown as well, yes. 
Yes. Well, I've, I am in his hometown right now. Yes, precisely. So he's born in New York City. And he was born in 1882. Mm-hmm. I December 11th, 1882. He moved to Arizona pretty young. He went to public high schools in Prescott, Arizona. His father was uh, in the army. And then after their time in Arizona, they moved and lived in Trieste. So they lived in what I guess is now Croatia. Yeah, they they do a lot of moving around. It it seems like a pretty, like, hectic, but kind of interesting childhood. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the army brat, the navy brat. Yeah, he definitely, he moves around a lot. Uh, And even when he moves abroad, he still works for the U.S. So he works for the U.S. State Department. Right. And serves in consulates in these various, in in all these different countries we just mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, he he was in, uh, in... Budapest. Uh, the father was in Budapest, served in Trieste and Fium, Hungary. Yeah, and he starts sticking up for the little guy very early on. He he after he leaves the U- the State Department, he moves to the U.S. to finish school at NYU, mm-hmm. and he works for New York Society for Prevention of Cruelty for Children, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I, I kind of loved. And he works on Ellis Island. This is cool. I was I wish that I spoke many languages so and lived this much longer ago. Right. That I could have done this. He he worked on Ellis Island as an interpreter for the Bureau of Immigration, but specifically relating to kids. Mm-hmm. So he spoke five languages. So yeah, this pretty is his job. He's translating for for everyone, I guess, but little kids also at at Ellis Island. He does that for years. Yeah, he he did it as he did it for a few years until he finally graduates from uh, NYU School of Law. Right, he's doing night school, <laughs> law school at night. God, law school's hard enough, and he does it at night while working full time. I know, and he works on Ellis Island. He's he's pretty amazing. I I'm I'm pretty impressed with him mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. whole life, but really up to here, just he seems to work all the time. Mm-hmm. He goes puts himself through school. This it's a pretty amazing story, especially since. He's, like, born in Greenwich Village to two immigrant parents and works his way through the State Department, goes back to New York through Mm -hmm. law school. And actually, as soon as he graduates, he's admitted to the bar the same year and starts his very own law practice. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was very involved in Republican politics this whole time and... uh it uh, doesn't start his own property. It says he joined a law firm where he would represent immigrants, he represented poor people, he represented workers... Yeah, right from the beginning, he he knew what he was working for. Yeah, very different from I when I read a lot of his politics, it's very different from what I think of the Republican ticket today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There has been a change. There's definitely. I guess this is kind of maybe the shift. Like I'm, I'm not really. Maybe we should do more research on when Republicans shift. Uh, in in the meantime, he does have. I mean, this is a lot of really great stuff. He works really hard. He kind of gets what he wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in kind of a little around this time, a little later, he's actually, he's married for the first time to his first wife being Thea Almerigotti. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing. He married her on March 8th, 1919, mm-hmm. and they had a daughter a year later, Fioretta, which I thought was a really cute little name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Sadly, the 
the daughter dies a year later of spinal meningitis, and his wife just a year later of tuberculosis in 1921. I know, so sad. All this at the same time as daughter and his I, wife die. Yeah, I can't. Awful. I can't imagine. Actually, they only. I'm sorry, they only die a month apart. So his his daughter dies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess she's about a year old, and then his wife dies a month after that. It was just. I'm I'm so sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. And sad. she's only 26, so she's very young. Exactly, and he nursed her through this tuberculosis for a long time. It it was it was it sounded like a nightmare, frankly. And uh, after nursing through a 17 month ordeal, and here it says at the the biography podcast dot dot com, they say Laguardia shrugged off. A long-running bender became a teetotaler and ran successfully for office in 1922. So, pretty amazing that really you know amazing. your wife and child have both just died, and just that he could still pull it together and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does. You know, we'll we'll get into it maybe a bit later. He does remarry mm-hmm. a woman named Marie Fisher in 1929. So several years later, and. I actually found it interesting that they adopted two children mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. and didn't actually, they didn't have any biological children, Jean-Marie and Eric. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Eric kind of did, worked a bit in politics with his father from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's kind of passing the legacy on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So so that's his early life, just, uh, just his personal life. Uh, let's hear just a... Uh, Basic outline of his political career. Do you have that, Kate? I do. Um, he really, you know, I think of mayor as in like this is your whole life. You just want to be mayor of New York. Mm-hmm. But no, he's he's pretty amazing. He is elected to Congress twice, uh, mm-hmm. twice because at some point during his first term, he was commissioned to the United States Armed Service. He was in the Army for World War One. And he's actually on in he's actually in command of a unit on the Italian Austrian front, which is is pretty scary. And so he resigned. Yeah, he resigned his seat because he's in the war. Mm-hmm. And then after he gets back, he gets elected as president of the board of aldermen, and mm-hmm. he decides then to run for Congress again. He, after being reelected to Congress, he's there for quite a while. He, he rises to fame really quickly. Within a very short period, of, I'd say 15 years, he's mayor of New York and has beaten the Tammany, Tammany Hall. So wait, so wait, let me go back. Just, just try to, I'm trying to put the, the years together here. So 1914, he first ran for Congress. He was a Republican and he, where he first ran, he was in a heavily Democratic neighborhood in Greenwich Village. So he lost the first time around, but he won. The second time around, uh, so he was elected in 1916 to his first public office. That was he was in Congress. He was a, a representative from New York. He uh, he did not sit quietly. It says here during his freshman year in Congress, as is expected of new congressmen, but energetically and enthusiastically took part in the everyday workings of the legislature. So 1916, he ran. He you know then his wife was sick in 1921, and his daughter. He ran again in 1922. He was in Congress continually from 22 to 32, except for his service in World War One and a term as, like you said, as the president of the City Board of Aldermen. So then, uh, you know, 
1932, it says here the mayoralty of New York was in crisis. Mayor Jimmy Walker, <clears throat> so puppet of Tammany, had been forced to resign when corruption was found throughout the government, and LaGuardia's like, aha, here I go. So he ran in 33. Um, it's the Republican fusion ticket. I mean, he had this difficulty because he was an anti-Tammany Republican in a Tammany-run Democratic town. But he campaigned his butt off and <laughs> went around ringing doorbells, speaking Italian and Yiddish to whoever would listen. And, and this is how he got nominated. All right, so, so 1932, he sees his, his opportunity. Um, he runs on the broad-based Republican fusion ticket in 1933, pledges to clean up city government, break the stranglehold of Tammany, and the reform elements eventually decide, okay, this is our guy, we're gonna, we want him in charge, and his coalition won. So January 1st, 1934, Fiorella LaGuardia took office as New York City's 99th mayor. And he had five main goals. And I believe he took care of four of them within the first hundred days. I mean, he was, like, on it. Amazing. Yeah, it's five main goals. Listen carefully to these. See how wonderful it'd be if Fiorello came along and uh, and stepped up in charge of our country right about now, perhaps. Number one, restore the financial health and break free from the banker's control. Hmm, still a problem today. Two, expand the federally funded work relief program for the unemployed. Could use that. Number three, end corruption in government and racketeering in key sectors of the economy. That would that would be nice. Number four, replace patronage with a merit-based civil service with high prestige. And that and then that's we sort of we're not we're not quite as corrupt that we've got patronage going on to the extent that it was back then, of course. Right. And number five is modernize the infrastructure, especially transportation and parks. And according to Wikipedia, he achieved most of the first four goals in his first hundred days. A big part of that is FDR gave him 20% of the entire national CWA budget. That's the Civil Works Administration, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. The CWA budget for work relief. So LaGuardia worked closely with Robert Moses on number five to upgrade the, uh, the city's infrastructure. The New Deal was very, very good to the city. A lot of funding for public works projects. So that's, I mean, that's how he did it. He just came in. He had his goals. He managed to get a lot of cash, a lot of cash from the federal government to make that possible. And and he made it work. He made it go. Yeah. I think that's kind of his problem later on, is that the money kind of stops trickling in so much. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the problem when he becomes less popular later, is because he is not getting as much money from the federal government. They just don't have it. Right. And some of these right. programs are starting to become less and less funded. Right. But when he did still have it, he was great. He built 50 new playgrounds, more than 50 new playgrounds within his first year. He planned 60 new parks, a lot in poor neighborhoods. Throughout his administration, slums were torn down or replaced with public housing and schools. That's that's sort of a mixed bag of whether that's a good or bad thing, and we'll get into that more in the next episode. But, um, you know, stuff was cleaned up. Uh, hospitals, child, and countless other social welfare projects were constructed. There were things health stations were constructed to improve the health and sanitary conditions of the city. He built roads, bridges, and tunnels. He is uh, inadvertently... Not inadvertently, but he is indirectly involved in the creation of West Side Highway, East River Drive, Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, Triborough, 
and, of course, an airport bearing his name. Those were all built during his mayoralty. And he also had campaign promises about corruption and organized crime. He attacked all of that. He reorganized the police force and other city agencies. He cracked down on racketeers. Really, really amazing stuff. Pretty amazing. I mean, I would say a lot of the infrastructure mm-hmm. that uh, tra- a lot of the um, transportation infrastructure that he reworked is still controversial to this day. Right. The BQE, like what what cut off different parts of the name, what cut off different parts of the city due to the, especially the BQE, you had a lot of neighborhoods cut in half and then kind of the crime on one side of the BQE or the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's definitely controversial even to this day, but the city probably wouldn't run, a lot of the traffic problems we have would be a lot worse without these much needed highways. It's 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 really hard to say. It's It's a very difficult topic, which is why we're going to save it for another podcast entirely. He did make a lot of stuff happen. He made a lot of good stuff happen. So, um, you know, we can we can look into this this revamped infrastructure and and highways and public transit and and things like that. That 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 takes one, if not three, other entire podcasts because there's so much involved in that. But overall, I am going to say that LaGuardia was a very important positive force in the city. Although, of course, there's there are, we can discuss the details. Well, so you can already see a lot of the things he's getting done. He really had this uneasy alliance where he kind of skirted the lines mm-hmm. and was able to make everyone happy for a period of time. He is able to have an alliance with New York City Jews mm-hmm. as well as Wasp because his mother is Jewish. He is raised Episcopalian and practices is a practicing Episcopalian for most of his life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so he's kind of able to get these, you know, liberal wasps to go with him, mm-hmm. as well as his Italian, German, you know, this background. He's able to kind of bring the entire city together. That's it. He's got such a mixed bag of ethnicity and, and background, and he makes that into a strength. He makes that into something that brings people together around him, not people... You know, it's harder to say, oh, we don't support that Italian. And you're like, well, do you know his whole story? There's there's so much to him. And he actually manages to make that uh, a, a positive thing to his voters. Yeah, he definitely really especially goes after these Italian mafia, the Italian mafia that he sees as a very negative stereotype mm-hmm. for the Italian community. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone I'd really love to do some more research on is Lucky Luciano, who mm-hmm. is a really famous uh, mobster mm-hmm. in New York City. And his first May act was to have, he ordered the chief of police to go arrest him. I love that on whatever charges can be found, he's like, whatever that. you've got on him, go for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Fierro's first day in office, his first action, arrest this guy no matter what. We're going after him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I love that there's, a known criminal out there that probably they could have arrested before now. And it takes this guy coming in and just being like, I don't care what it takes. He really cleans up the mob scene and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. works just really hard to, 
to break it up. I, I really love, um, he does a citywide ban on the sale, display, and possession of artichokes. Yes. <laughs> I want to look artichokes into this artichoke story some more because this is hilarious <laughs> to me. Yeah, the mafia had been inflating the prices of artichokes. Isn't that funny? They pick one vegetable. random vegetable that Italians like to eat. I mean, you know, this this price fixing thing is hurting, you know, the Italian community. This this one particular vegetable gets gets, you know, price inflation and he's like, "Fine. We're not doing artichokes ever." Until you guys Ever. Knock he's it like, off. "No one in the city can eat them." It's pretty awesome. I Mhm. I wonder if he like banned any other fruits and vegetables. That's that's the only uh, one I could find. And then of course, when the prices went down, he removed the ban, and now there are artichokes for all. And for that, we can thank Fiorello Laguardia. Thank you, Laguardia. Thanks, Laguardia. He um to get at to go after Lucky Lucky Luciano. He had a special prosecutor who you may know if you mm. know your American history, Thomas Dewey, who mm -hmm. of course becomes a future Republican presidential candidate mm -hmm. and he's like this is your job your job is to go after this guy and make something stick which yeah. eventually he did and was able to get him on this uh, prostitution operation mm -hmm. and they got him in jail for 30 to 50 years and if you actually want to see more about this case uh which we're, we're not going in too much about but there's actually a movie with Betty Davis called The Marked Woman mm -hmm. which is kind of about this famous case so I'm, I'm sure Fiorella LaGuardia is it might be a small mm -hmm. role in that <laughs> he kind of reminds me a bit of Giuliani though with the um, he shuts down all the, the burlesque theaters mm -hmm. which reminds me of Giuliani shutting you know cleaning up the Disneyfying of Times Square mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because these naughty shows uh, they offended He's very puritanical in terms of his beliefs and sensibilities, so he had them all shut down. And you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna come in. Uh, this is not exactly Giuliani time. This is uh, this is still Fiorello Laguardia time. I'm gonna I'm gonna come in behind him on that. I'm like, yeah, shut down the burlesque. I just have a hunch that a lot of the performers were there because they had no other way to make money, not because they were like a bunch of really sex positive powerful women and burlesque is different today thank god but let's not i i, I want i want our listeners to be very clear to not confuse today burlesque with 1920s burlesque shut it down no, that's very bullshit. very different yeah so yeah i mean i think you're probably right i think there's probably a bit of giuliani in him that that doesn't necessarily come up in the in the biographies and all that. One thing that does say on Wikipedia, the intemperate mayor was rough on his staffers and left no doubt who was in charge. So that's just one little sentence. But as uh, you know, we've all been employees of bosses who are intemperate or rough on their staffers, and you know, maybe they get a lot of stuff done, but they can make your people, they can make the the lives of their people a living hell. They can. You know, it, there are day-to-day -day repercussions of that kind of approach. And to be a tough guy who gets a lot of stuff done is great in the long term. But let's not try to whitewash um, the experience of working for someone like that also. One good example of kind of... I, I think it gives me an insight to the guy, along with shutting down the burlesques. He also was was very anti-gambling. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Hated. And apparently passed a law to ban pinball machines because he felt they were gambling devices around 1939. 
And there's lots of photos of him destroying these games, like Prohibition style, mm-hmm. sledgehammers, big fires. And I love, like, pinball machines. P- pinball know. machines and, and slot machines. He got rid of Granted, them. Granted, yeah, slot machines, I, I understand. But pinball machines, it just kind of cracked me up. Yeah. And this was actually on the books until 1976. Right, right. They you did get rid pin- of it. Obviously, if you've been out to Barcade... Then you'll have you'll obviously know pinball machines are fine to have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, they're fine now. They're not they're not used for gambling. Who knows? Maybe they were used for gambling back then. One other thing is, has he cleared Maybe. racy magazines from newsstands under his powers of garbage collection? Wow, yeah. really? Yeah, under garbage collection. He's like, I'm 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 the one in charge of co- doing the garbage collection. Get rid of all these racy magazines. And then there was at one point the newspaper strike. He said. Uh, he asked radio listeners, because he had a radio show. He was constantly on the radio, by the way, and if he were alive today, he would definitely have a podcast, maybe two. So during the newspaper strike, he said radio listeners bring the kitties around, and then he proceeded to give a dramatic reading of the Dick Tracy comic strip that would have run that day. Oh, <laughs> so cute. cute. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah. That reminds me a bit of Bloomberg. I'm not sure I can imagine Bloomberg reading Dick Tracy, no. but I would actually... If he's listening, if somehow our mayor is listening to our podcast, mm. I would I would love to hear him read comics on, on the air. Something to keep in mind, Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, if you want to read the comics on the air, we might listen. Or if you wanted to do I a podcast. Totally, I'm not going to lie. I would definitely listen. <laughs> he, Yeah, he definitely brings the city back from the Depression. Mm-hmm. He has There are tons of massive public works programs he does, especially with some of the controversial... Um, Parks Commission's stuff done with Robert Moses, Mm -hmm. it really employed tons and tons of people in these projects that you could essentially retire on. Like, the programs took so long, Mm -hmm. like, you could possibly retire on the building of the BQE or the West Side Highway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's just, it's pretty amazing, like, how how he really brings the city back. He also brings the World's Fair, of course. Yes, he did. That was that was early in his in his time, right? Yeah, in nineteen thirty nine he brings the World's Fair to Flushing Meadow, Queens, which I'm sure most of you have seen the, the structures that are still there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you were saying the airport, which at the time was called Municipal Airport number two. Right. Terrible but name, it's by not the way. named until LaGuardia until later. I had some I think it's a terrible airport. I had some very trying times there this weekend. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's fine. Don't blame the airport for the problem of the airline or, you know, gravity. Gravity. Could mm-hmm. be gravity. The city also, this is when the, when the subways uh, are taken over by the public sector, essentially. You finally have the city by the Interborough Rapid Transit Company. And then he... Yeah, then it just entirely comes under the city's control, where you had multiple systems running, and you know you have the IRT. Do you know the other lines? Uh, BMT what is it? and IND. Yes. Ha! You thought I didn't. Ha <clears throat> <laughs> ha! Great job. Well, this is the last one to buy, and so he, you know, really unifies the city mm-hmm. in this way as well. It's it's. Pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One other amazing thing. I got one amazing anecdote that unfortunately I cannot verify as is true or not. 
There is actually a lot written of this on Snopes. If you uh, Google Fiorella LaGuardia and Snopes, you'll pull this up. Uh, but the anecdote, presumably, maybe, happened is in the middle of the Great Depression, New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia strived to live with the people. It was not unusual for him to ride the, with the firefighters, raid with the police, or take field trips with orphans. On a bitterly cold night in January 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court that served the poorest ward of the city. LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself, which was actually in the laws. That's a legal thing. He was the only mayor who has ever actually taken advantage of that particular ability, but you can serve as a judge. Apparently he did, it, he several did it several times. times. Like, it yeah. wasn't just like a, a one-time thing. He really would... It's, I, I got that he kind of did it often. He would kind of just go to court and be like, hey, why don't you mm-hmm, take the mm-hmm. night off? And, and then... A lot of a lot of routine misdemeanor cases, but uh, Kathleen, do you have? Well, the one that happened is he takes over, gives the judge a night off. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told the mayor that her daughter's husband had left, her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. However, the shopkeeper, from whom the bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor. The man told the mayor, she's got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson. Gordia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into his famous hat. We'll discuss his hat in a minute. Saying, here's a $10 fine, which I now remit. And further, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to the bewildered woman who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving children. 50 cents of that amount was contributed by the grocery store owner himself, while some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents for the privilege of doing so, gave the mayor a standing ovation. It's It's a good good story. story. It's definitely one of those... We can't really That's, and, verify and Snopes that goes this happened. To a lot of trouble, a lot of effort to to figure this out, and and it's really interesting to see the process that they go through. And in the end, they can neither prove nor disprove it. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, it's definitely in his character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it just seems it seems a little. I don't. There's a lot of detail in there. It it does seem like it could be a slight tall tale, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, as far as stories about Mr. Laguardia go, uh, it's a really, yeah, it's yeah, a really I good do like one. That story. So, so you'll if it does turn out to not be true in the future when they do figure this out, you will please bear with us and allow me let the indulgent, uh, indulging me to have told that story. Yeah, it's definitely a part of the like myth making. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. So. Uh, and one thing that I, I actually thought was pretty amazing is he's a very early critic of Hitler and the mm-hmm, Nazi regime, mm-hmm. which I, I found pretty, in 1934, which, yeah, pretty early. And he's mm-hmm. very outspoken. LaGuardia actually, in 1934, LaGuardia actually says, part of Hitler's program is the complete annihilation of the Jews in Germany. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which so, is kind of early in the in the game to have nailed that down a lot of people still in europe were like no he's just no he he's just the man in charge of his country and who are we to say and blah 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 and like a lot like a lot of the reason hitler was able to get 
as powerful as he was, was people energetically looking on the bright side and trying to not see uh, what Hitler was doing. And LaGuardia was on it. He was like, no, no, this guy has to get out. Do you have the quote about the, the World's Fair for that? At the World's Fair, I do know that he created a quote-unquote, chamber of horrors for that brown-shirted fanatic. He, he called for the creation of a, of a pavilion for that. I'm not sure if he was kidding. I'm not sure if it actually happened. But, but yeah, that was part of it. It's like he was able to see this, and he wasn't going to shut up about this. Yeah, and I think part of one thing, he's so outspoken that actually LaGuardia's sister, Gemma mm -hmm. LaGuardia Gluck, was arrested by the Nazis in 1944. Mm-hmm. They knew, they arrested her because they knew she was Fiorello's sister mm -hmm. and was held as a political prisoner and actually sent to a concentration camp at Ravensbrück. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she's one of the very few survivors at the camp. And she's actually written about it quite in quite de in a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. So maybe mm -hmm. we'll, we'll try to find uh, a link to that. Definitely. And she, they, she, it's believed she's the only American-born woman interned by the Nazis. But it's pretty amazing that they actually knew who she was, and that's why, that's one of the reasons they arrested her. That's it. When I first started reading about that, they're like, they knew she was Fiorello's sister. And so I thought, oh, okay. So they immediately sent her to the U.S. No. They sent no, her to concentration. They sent her right to one of the camps. <laughs> yeah, amazing. pretty, pretty crazy. So then this brings us up to... To World War II. Mm -hmm. And Roosevelt, who still great on great terms with LaGuardia, I think pretty much during his entire uh, his entire time in office. And he's actually makes a position for him in the Office of Civil Defense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is this is when we get the, the famous quote about Winston being the English mayor LaGuardia. Right. The OCD is this is a, a nationwide agency. Which is pretty amazing that a mayor of New York is responsible for this, you know, nationwide. He's in he's in charge of preparing for blackouts, air war, air raid wardens, sirens, shelters, kind of like prepping Americans for kind of what you imagine when you see movies and there's people prepping for war, prepping to be invaded. He's in charge of setting all of that up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Big job. Definitely. Huge, huge job. Yeah. So, right around this time, he's doing both jobs. And both jobs are full-time jobs. He goes back and forth between D.C. and New mm -hmm. York. He's still pretty popular. It's it's kind of after Pearl Harbor and the end of the war that his popularity really starts slipping. He hands off over his job at the Office of Civilian Defense mm -hmm. and is just New York mayor. And... He's he's a three three term mayor at this point, fun, yeah. and apparently though he he kind of had slipped in the popularity polls. Yeah. So by the time in 1945 he doesn't run for a fourth term, which is crazy. Like he actually probably if he probably could have run, and who knows? We then we would have had a mayor that would have been a four term. I, mayor. I don't think he would have won though. I think I think just one one paragraph here. This is from the uh, the Guardia Wagner archive at uh, at cuny.edu, and I'll provide a link to this, but. Just a little more, just a little more elaboration on what it was like to work with him. It says Laguardia's leadership style was hands-on and personal, temperamental, like we said already, and abrasive. He supervised everything and cared about everybody. 
perhaps to a fault. When he wasn't rushing to fires, conducting orchestras, he loved music, we'll get to that in a minute, giving advice over radio or writing letters to children, he was berating his commissioners, firing lax city workers, taking over court cases, smashing slot machines, and chastising reporters. His explosive, dramatic persona revealed a sense of self-righteousness and an insatiable need for attention. Yet it also reflected a desire to inspire public interest in and win support for his fight against crime, corruption, and the callous disregard for human suffering. So both LaGuardia's strengths and weaknesses derive from his ambition to give New York, quote, government with a soul. So during the war, you have the Brooklyn Navy Yard producing a lot of shit with the warships mm-hmm. and uniforms. So during the war, you've got, you've definitely got some some money coming into the city because of that. But there wasn't enough wartime spending in the city. So it's not a heavy industry town. You don't you don't really have the room to build to have these big warehouses to take over to build, you know, what needs to be built for the war. Mm-hmm. And the defense plants are built in other places. So, you know, I'm I'm sure by the end of the war the city might have been in financial trouble again. They just need somebody new to come in and fix it. In nineteen forty four, he's really juggling the books to pay the city's bills. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure, the high wages, you know, these pens, high, you know, the pensions for teachers, police, city workers, um, really is kind of spiraling out of control. I mean, it's good what he did for the city. These people did need, and are, I still say are very deserving of kind of, of what they get paid. They do a very hard job for us. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the like, you know, building these parks and building, the highways the city needed it but it he he just has to keep borrowing more and more to keep the city going because of all these high spendings and it kind of snowballs and this is why new york city faces bankruptcy in 1975 mm-hmm, kind of because of his overspending problem yeah yeah but i mean even before that, even while he was still mayor, there were a couple of situations where he kind of, there were a couple of glitches um, where he was, when he was running the federal office of civil defense in 41, while he was still mayor, a lot of people suggest that he was distracted by his two full-time jobs and uh, neglected a few things. One, he failed to fully address the issues that led to the Harlem riots in 1943. Indeed, right. he may have exacerbated them by closing the Savoy, a popular integrated Harlem nightclub. Uh, he also condoned the construction of segregated housing at Stuyvesant Town. So there was, yeah, I mean, he made he made some mistakes. He he wasn't flawless. I think it's one of those where he starts off really strong and does a lot of really good change for the city, but then kind of gets too big for himself. I don't. He he definitely doesn't change with the city that he's changed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't change with the times. He kind of stays himself and I, I think gets uh, kind of over-aggrandizes. But he definitely, he's he's a good mayor. He's probably one of the best we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He did a lot. A lot of that had to do with huge amounts of federal money, but there's no doubt he did a lot. But he, he spent the money. He definitely spent the money in good ways. Exactly. Like he, it wasn't like Tammany Hall where if that money had come to the city when Tammany Hall was we in wouldn't charge, have seen a penny. none of these things would yeah. have happened. Yeah. Well, he did live the rest of his life in New mm-hmm. York and died actually at a fairly young age, at 64, yeah. of pancreatic cancer. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he was living in River, the Riverdale section of the Bronx. And you can see his, it's actually a very simple headstone, but you can see that he, him at Woodlawn Cemetery in the mm-hmm. Bronx, mm-hmm. his grave is there. And maybe we'll put a, a picture Definitely. of that on the website just so you can see it's, it's really very, very simple. It just is his last name and it says statesman and humanitarian. So very, very simple, kind of humble, especially for mm-hmm. a man that I, I don't think in real life was actually mm-hmm. very humble. Mm-hmm. And one important part of his legacy is he did love music, and it was important to him that there be education for children in music. And he established the High School of Music and Art, which is now, of course, Fiorello LaGuardia High School of Music and Art, which is the high school in fame. I would say it's the fame school, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the fame school. Well, it could be because of his love of music that there was a musical about him called Fiorello exclamation point. What's that about? Is it just a biography? It's kind of a biography, but it's it's during World War One mm-hmm. and ten years later. So mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of a mess. It's not really it doesn't necessarily stick to his real life. Mm-hmm. Like one difference, one big difference is his first wife, Thea, mm-hmm. she died, at, we, we've mentioned she died after only three years of, of them being married, but in the play she lives for eight more years, mm-hmm. and so they kind of time it in the play so that her death is one more calamity during uh, a unsuccessful, his first unsuccessful mayoral campaign. Mm-hmm. So, and, and they also make him see... Uh, a a bit more of an outsider, and sure. it's and it doesn't make him seem like he was. They they downplay him being a successful congressperson mm-hmm. uh, to make him seem like oh he's never going to win this election, and then he does, and then it's this big part in the play, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's 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 a lot. Yeah, it's. I would say you should listen to the score. Mm-hmm. It did not play very long. It played for 795 performances, which is, I guess, two not years, right? Not too bad. About two years. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like a bomb, but it's definitely a very little-known musical. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It, this is in 1959, so he was actually still alive. So I wonder if he. Yeah, it opened in 1959. It closed in 61. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he was... He, I wonder if he actually went to, like, the opening if, like, Fiorello... I sure hope so, yeah. At Fiorello the Musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually won a Pulitzer, which I kind of find funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Must have been good. It, Must be something like I, to it. Like, like I said, he, it closed in 1961. Well, I'd say if you want to learn a little bit more about Fiorello mm-hmm. LaGuardia... You should go to New York Public Radio's WNYC archives because they actually maintain a Twitter feed that features tweets from his Talk to the People radio mm-hmm, program. Mm-hmm. So you can follow LaGuardia's tweets, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. And I think one of the, the last thing that I'll mention, which I actually remember because I watched um, Ghostbusters 2 mm-hmm. not too long ago. And I, I, I d- we had already decided we were going to do this podcast when I remember it, that um, when everything kind of goes crazy, 
Supposedly, Fiorella LaGuardia came back to talk to the current mayor in his bedroom for an mm-hmm. hour and a half. Finishing with, and he's been dead for 40 years. I actually do remember that part from the movie. <laughs> and that, that doesn't seem too surprising if ghosts are coming back to communicate with the living that Fiorella LaGuardia goes straight to the mayor and, and talk to him for hours. Yeah, I just imagine him going to like Bloomberg and sitting in Bloomberg's bedroom talking to mm-hmm. him for an hour and a mm-hmm. half. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in, and I hope that you've learned a little bit about a mayor that you didn't know mm-hmm. before today. Fiorello LaGuardia, who, you know, from my research, yeah, I would say probably one of the best mayors in New York City, definitely. I'll definitely put him in my top top three, top three of all time. Well, if you'd like to tell us who your favorite mayor is, feel free to... Leave a comment. To leave a comment on our mm-hmm. Facebook page. And please, no negative comments. We don't want to hear about how much you dislike certain mayors that have gone in the past. Maybe we'll do a poll Mm. of that later. But for now, we'd love to hear your favorite mayors. And if you have any anecdotes about LaGuardia or maybe another mayor that reminds you of LaGuardia, we'd Mm. love to hear about it. Definitely. Definitely check out the Facebook page. We'll have lots of extra photos there, including his very distinguished-looking gravestone. And... Yeah, like Kate said, I hope you learned something you didn't know before. Yeah, we'll see you next time when we discuss the letter M. M. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. I wish you could be here with me on this night of New York City. Uh, I couldn't remember if Fiorello was the first Jewish mayor. Mm, he wasn't Jewish. He was Episcopalian, so no. Well, his mom's Jewish. Yes, but he was Episcopalian. All right. So we're not going to say that he's the first Jewish mayor. You better not. Or I'll cut that out so fast.